Okay. Welcome to the Canadian Tax Secrets. This is uh, Rylan Olson and Steve Meldrum. Uh, today we are going to be talking about why corporate insurance? Why should you own your insurance corporately? What are the benefits? Why do you want it? Why is it important? Steve, how you doing? I'm doing really good. So we're just going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Good, the bad, and the ugly. So what's on your mind when it comes to corporate insurance? Why do you recommend your corporate clients own their insurance corporately and not personally? I'd say first <laughs> off, we always want to make sure that the accountant's on board and under, on side. Um, but the real question to me is why the heck not? Why wouldn't you hold it in the corporation? You can use cheaper corporate tax dollars. Now, it, admittedly, it's not a write-off unless you use the insurance policy as a collateral assignment. But really, uh, if you can use corporate dollars for something, why wouldn't you? So when you say corporately, do you mean in the operating company or in the holding company? Uh, generally, a pipe dream is to have everything in the holding company. And that's just because you're going to be usually most business owners are building their operating company to sell them. Yeah. You don't want to get trapped with an insurance policy inside an operating company. So if you can, from the outset, it's nice to have the holding company uh, be the owner, beneficiary and payer of the insurance. So you would never it's the cleanest way. So when we say own cor corporately owned insurance, really we're saying in your holding company, but it's just easier to say corporately owned, not like in your opco, but your hold co corporate right not opco is that I mean, yeah you correct? could either corporation could own either corporation could own the insurance either the hold co or the opco but just from a long-term planning most of the time it's 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 going to be in the hold co yeah. if set up properly now what about a situation where someone's got multiple opcos and multiple hold co's is there any preference to yeah, just well, holding it in the opco with the most assets or in the holdco with most retained earnings or with the best cash flow? I mean, that's again, that pulls into the accountant. There are different cases where maybe you would want an opco to own the policy or um, that opco would never be sold. So there's no need for a capital gains exemption test or uh, the operating company just might be wound up and pulled into a hold com hold co mm -hmm. down the road. Um, there are some different situations, but it's going to be obviously, yeah, where, where's the cash? If the cash is all being generated in the hold or in the opco, maybe we can dividend it up to, you know, do an intercorporate dividend up to the hold co. You just got to be careful of, you know, what the tax ramifications are when you move money around between corporations, whether Holdco or Opco. Yeah, no, I know we want, we'll probably do a whole episode on this later, but um, when it comes to owning an operate, owning an insurance policy in the operating company, um, there are a lot of rules when it comes to transferring that policy out of the operating company to the holding company. Now, we, like I said, I think we'll probably do an episode on transferring um, later. I yeah, just wanted sure. to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, if someone does have a policy inside their operating company already, what, what should we be looking at or what should we be thinking about doing? 
Transfer it, well, keep I, it. Maybe I'll just... What do you think? I mean, yeah, it's all fact-dependent, but I think the three variables you want to look at are you want to look at what is the fair market value of the policy, and that's usually indicated by the price that was paid for the policy, the cash value of the policy, or the adjusted cost base basis of the policy. Mm -hmm. So those are three metrics, and it very much depends whether you're going between a corp to a shareholder, from a shareholder into a corp, or if it's a related parties. So like you said, probably opens opens the can up for yeah. another session on how to transfer insurance policies between those different structures. Yeah. But you ultimately have to make sure you're, you know, whenever you do it, it's a deemed disposition. And you just want to make sure that you're understanding the tax triggers, mm -hmm. both tax and then also the triggers for the insurance policy. Yeah. You know, future, future, um, future transactions that might be affected by your initial movement in or out of the corporation or between corporations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good thoughts. Um, how did you changing gears a little bit? How did you get into corporate insurance? Why are you kind of in this niche? Um, what's your background a bit on corporate insurance? Yeah. So I actually came across it through reading. My parents are both teachers, so I think I'm a sucker for learning. And uh, I was reading a tax and estate planning book and came across the capital dividend account. And it blew my mind because I had never heard of it in the financial planning uh, realm. I originally started working on investments and was a certified financial planner. But when I learned about the capital dividend account and how it's created, both uh, in broad scope, you know, non-taxable portion of capital gains or through life insurance proceeds being death benefit minus the adjusted cost basis. I just thought that was crazy. Essentially, now we've got a vehicle that we can have tax sheltered growth. Um, we can stuff in our retained earnings. And then when I want that, those funds to, tr when I die, those funds will transfer to the beneficiaries that I want to select or my estate. I thought that was amazing because essentially we're kicking the CRA or the tax man out of the equation. Yep. And I just thought, why isn't everyone doing this? Mm -hmm. And so I just kept learning and asking questions and uh, soon came to understand that not everyone understood the capital dividend account or how to create it or optimize it. Yeah. So that's the background. Yeah, no, um, and that's perfect because you brought up a good point, the capital dividend account with corporately owned insurance. So let's talk about the capital dividend account a little bit, the power of the capital dividend account with insurance. Um, maybe just talk about how CDA is calculated with the insurance policy um, so that our accountants kind of understand um, just high level, how it's calculated, sure. and how you can ma manipulate it too. Yeah, from a high level, the formula for the capital dividend account would be the death benefit minus the adjusted cost basis. Now, a key point I'll put here is that Adjusted cost basis is different than adjusted cost base. So basis versus base. A lot of people on the investment side or the accounting side will understand what's the cost that you've put in. But adjusted cost basis is the premiums you've put in minus a bunch of other factors, including mortality costs, which means over time, your adjusted cost basis is declining. I guess somewhat similar to 
um, depreciating a capital property, right? So over time, your capital dividend account will increase because A, your death benefit might be increasing, but B, your adjusted cost basis is grinding down, we call it, or shrinking over time. Yeah. So capital dividend account is the death benefit proceeds minus the adjusted cost basis. And I think we'll probably do a, an entire episode on CDA with insurance because it is super powerful and what we can do. Like there, there's a lot that we can do. I think just one thing to add is the CDA created by insurance is the total amount of insurance, uh, not just, you know, the, the one portion, but um, like I said, we'll go into that in more detail, but CDA can really be manipulated and created artificially with insurance. Um, and, and we can touch on that a little bit later to me for sure. CDA is the, I mean, obviously the cheaper premiums is always a benefit of owning your policy corporately. But I think, like you said, the CDA to me is probably the biggest factor of why you should own, if you can own your policy corporately. I was thinking about it yesterday, just with real estate. And really like we know that insurance is there to provide liquidity on death but a corporately owned insurance policy really is a giant water bucket that you know if you have a real estate family that's got a real estate empire they actually don't want to pull their real estate out of their operating or holding company um, but they probably have a pool of cash sitting inside their portfolio and that's just basically a transfer of wealth tax-free right like you obviously get the proceeds um, of the life insurance but if you can artificially create more CDA um, and you know this is the account but it just is another mechanism that the family can pull boatloads of money out of the corporation without actually even having to extract their assets if they don't want to so I thought you know that's to me that's the biggest thing is is liquidity and just moving money tax-free using the CDA. So do you have any thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I would, I agree with you. Um, you know, if you can create the capital dividend account, you can at your discretion transfer that value over to your personal side Yeah, and you can use it based on the insurance proceeds, or if those insurance proceeds have been deployed somewhere else, you can do it on future assets. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's cash, whether it's a real estate holding, maybe you got to do an equalization in the real estate family or a group. And so they want to allocate an apartment building to one of the shareholders. Well, that's a tax-free way you can push it out yeah. from the corporation. And I mean, we don't have to come up with any answers here, but my question to you, Steve, would be, what would the advantage of pulling an apartment building out of the operating company? Because I mean, high level, if it's sitting in the operating company, it's it's paying corporate rates, right? Versus paying personal rates if someone owns that personally. So why would they want to take, I mean, this is tax, tax stuff, but why would you want to take an income producing asset out of a operating company or a holding company that's getting low corporate rates and now own it personally and have to pay personal rates on the cash flow? So I guess it depends on uh, there's a lot of facts there. So it, first question would be, is the real estate, real estate corporation truly getting low tax rates or are they, you know, is it considered passive real estate or are they actually 
earning business income, which would be, you know, if they're earning, be able to access a small business rate. Usually there's some criteria, like you have to have a certain amount of employees. I think it's three employees that are actively involved full time in the business. Um, you may want, like I said earlier, just to equalize the family holdings, like different if you're talking a hundred million dollar portfolio versus a $3 million portfolio. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's, you know, one of the real estate properties needs to be transferred to an adult child because they can't qualify. Maybe it needs to, and you want to use a principal residence exemption for them. Um, not against holding it in the, in the corporation. It could be that the family, even if it is a real estate empire, maybe they need to split it up down the road. Maybe, maybe some of those holdings want to be held yeah. personally for legacy reasons, or, you know, it's a family cabin. So they, they don't want to have those assets uh, part of the overall corporation in case from a liability standpoint, if something happens to the corporation, now they're going to lose the family cottage, mm -hmm. right? So a yeah. lot, lot of fact dependence there. I, I mean, it's not that you always try and hold the, you know, you generally would say the real estate's nice to be held inside the, the corporation, but um, it, there are reasons to hold yeah. it. Uh, personally as well yeah so we've talked about lower premiums we've talked about the creation of cda um, are there any other reasons you see that someone it's a no-brainer for someone to hold their insurance inside their opco slash hold co yeah i mean just one other thing with uh, buy sell agreements when you you know you have shareholders that maybe aren't related and they have different interests instead of trying to have insurance on each other held personally if you have the corporation manage it, then um, it's it's easier just to do that, to, to manage it from the corporate level. So if one person, you know, if a premium's not paid, the other shareholder can see that and will get notified through the corporation mm -hmm. uh, versus kind of having to manage and trust that the other person's paying their side of the bargain on a buy-sell agreement. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, now, one of the major uh, pitfalls that people talk about when you own a whole life insurance policy inside of an opco or holdco is the cash surrender value actually attributes to the share value of the opco holdco um, what are your thoughts on on that is that actually a negative or is that uh, something that can be mitigated uh definitely that's a whole uh, can of worms as well but the cash surrender value generally is going to be added to the to the share value um, there are some provisions uh, for example, spousal rollover, where you can avoid that taxable situation. Um, there's also times when maybe you would want um, that to happen uh, because it, you know, whether you're doing a pipeline or loss carryback, it's kind of fact dependent. And again, probably, I hate to say, it's probably a whole other episode. Well, and there's other things such as life insurance shares, tracking shares as well, right? Where yeah. You can actually, you know, assign those shares to someone else so that they're not actually attributing to the share value. Yeah, you right? can so. separate with life insurance tracking shares. You can essentially split out the three components, the death benefit, the cash value, um, and the, mainly the death benefit and the cash value. Yeah. And so you can assign those to different people. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we've touched on a lot of things very high level. We could probably do a whole episode on life insurance tracking shares. We can probably do a whole episode on cash surrender value and share value. 
could do a whole nother episode on CDA, CDA creation. So this is really just high level for accountants to know that you should be probably owning most of your life insurance inside the corporation. Um, it's important to note though that um, critical illness insurance doesn't actually create CDA, right? So owning a critical illness policy inside your your uh, your opco or holdco isn't actually going to create CDA, so uh, it can't flow those proceeds out tax free uh, to the yeah. beneficiary if it's owned by the the holdco. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And now th there's still maybe reasons why you want those proceeds to show up in the corporation. But as you mentioned, it doesn't create capital dividend account. Yeah. And look, because this is focused, this podcast is really focused for accountants. Uh, let's call one elephant in the room when it comes to corporate owned life insurance is in general, there's not creditor protection. So if you have a company that, you know, maybe isn't as solid and has some creditors and they have some viability concerns, you may not want to have your insurance held at the corporate level because it's not going to receive creditor protection like there would be on a personally owned policy in general. Yeah, great point. So that, that's just one thing that you'd have to be aware of. Generally not a concern, but it could be depending on yeah you know, the scale and uh, complexity or risk of your business. Yeah, no, they're all just factors that we need to consider when placing these, right? Obviously you want to cover your butt and that's why you buy insurance in the first place is to cover your butt. So we want to make sure they're structured right. And if we're going to do it corporately, then we need to have all our ducks in a row so that we do and things. It, and, and when you say that, say that, you know, yes, one element is to um, cover your liquidity or your obligations. Uh, but the other side is when people have made it and done really well, they've got a whole bunch of cash stored up in the corporation. So those retained earnings can start affecting their access to the small business rate through passive income rules. And they get a grind on their access to the small business rate. So someone, a lot of people that we're dealing with are actually using insurance, not for the liquidity, but actually for the tax sheltering, you know, you're very limited on a tax-free savings account that you'd personally hold, but on the corporation side, you can have a life insurance policy that's growing essentially tax sheltered. And that's a really big tool in a lot of planning or structures that family enterprises will use because they've, they've got money, they've got the funds. They just need to have it accumulate tax-free and pass to the next generation in a very clean and efficient manner. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think to your, our kind of theme here has been, it's really scalable. Like corporately owned insurance is really scalable. It doesn't matter if it's someone that's got a million bucks or someone that's got a hundred million bucks, right? It's scalable and all these problems are, are universal. And it's not like you have to be worth a billion dollars to access these solutions, right? So I think that's a great point. Is there any last things you yeah. want to touch on Steve before we wrap it up? on corporately owned life insurance. No, I'm just, you know, I just, I'm excited that we're creating a forum here for us to help accountants. And, you know, if someone has any questions, they can reach out to you or I and give us the questions. So we have some content to create and, and get back out to you because we love this place. It's a sandbox we play in all day, every day. And we're just trying to think of ways to share, share the message and make sure that people are making the right moves in their planning absolutely we just want to help 
be resources to accounts. So hope you found this helpful. We'll uh, see you in the next episode. Bye. Cheers.